Tonight on the Goblin's Corner. Ludicrous Bestiary, Volume 4, Aquatic Atrocities. That's how we roll. 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 Welcome to the Goblin's Corner. My name is Eric. And I'm Matt. And tonight, we're talking about Ludicrous Bestiary, Volume 4. Aquatic Atrocities. Yes, sir. That's right. Once again, we've had a lot of awesome feedback regarding our monster series, our Ludicrous Bestiary. And tonight, we're going to give you some underwater cretins and creatures and various other beasties for you to use in most likely D&D, but it could be Pathfinder or any other TTRPG of choice. Yeah. I, I, some of these I would love to see in modern games and stuff. Let's get just weird. Yeah, these are weird. These are going to be ridiculous, and they're going to be a lot of fun. But before we get to that... We've got a question of the week. It happens every week, in fact. So this week, Matt, is it aquatic-related? It is, in fact. Okay. Give it to me. What do we got? I want you to chimera. I've turned that into a verb. I want you to chimera. You know what? I I feel that you should be able to chimera any type of verb, really. (laughs) Sure. We can verb chimeras and we can chimera verbs. How does that sound? That makes sense. Yeah. I'm down with that. I'm not a... Stumble walk, right? There you go. You know exactly what that means. Yes. And I just chimeraed two verbs. Yes. (laughs) English professors are just rolling in their graves. They're not even dead yet. They're already they're jumping into into open graves to roll Just in. Roll. Yeah, it's fine. It's good for them. It's good, good for them. It's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> keep, keep going. Okay. So I want you to chimera three creatures to make your perfect aquatic mount. My perfect aquatic mount. So what are they and why? Three creatures. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Because I'm going to go for cute factor and amusement. Okay. It's very important. If I'm going to have a mount that I'm riding majestically in the ocean like Aquaman, mm-hmm. I need to have something ridiculous, but but adorable as well. Okay. So I think dolphin would be perfectly adorable. Sure. I think sea turtle, because sea turtles are perfectly adorable. They are. And a barnacle, because it's perfectly not adorable and horrible. <laughs> and so- But um, weird. But very weird. Yeah. So imagine okay. a dolphin-headed with the smiling face and such. He's got a big seashell that I'm riding on the back of. And, you know, the wake's coming off because like, it's, you know, it's surfaced. Mm-hmm. So we've got uh, dolphin flippers in the back, mm-hmm. dolphin head in the front, mm-hmm. sea turtle flappers with the shell, mm-hmm. and then it opens its mouth and the fucking barnacle comes out. Oh, nice. Yes. Okay. Little uh, aliens kind of. Yeah, yeah. Like the Flurgan, the cat from, uh, you didn't see that, did you, from no. uh, Captain Marvel? Okay. I think it's called a Flurgan. I believe you. I, I, if it's not, I'm calling it a Flurgan. Okay. So, but yeah, so something cute until it opens its mouth and then the pinchers come and grab you and it swallows you whole. Okay. I'm with it. It makes yeah. sense. It's delightful. Yeah. What about you, Matt? What is you? What are your three chimeric creatures to merge into a delightful undersea mount so i'm a horrible person my mount is less adorable and more monstrous okay so what kind of monstrous we're going for a swordfish swordfish right get a little stabby face action Mm -hmm. they're also very very fast they are in fact 
the four-winged flying fish. Okay. Because they have the longest glide of any flying fish. So you're basically riding a flying javelin so far. Right. And then a pangolin. A pangolin. Yes. Land creature. Yes. Okay. Specifically for their scales. Their scales are hard, ridged, and sharp. Hmm. Interesting. So you would have a armored flying javelin-like mount. Yes. You ride into combat. Yes. It'd be flying underwater, flying above water. It would just be flying overall. Mm-hmm. 60 miles an hour on the back of something, that's that's violence right that's there. That's vicious indeed. <laughs> Do you happen to fly specific creatures or planes, or perhaps you're a fisherman? Write to us, info at goblinscorner.com, or you can reach me, Eric at goblinscorner.com or me, Matt at goblinscorner.com. And of course, you can find us on all the things. Indeed. All kinds of stuff. Social media in general. Yes. We're, we're on it. We're not on Mastodon yet, but by God, Matt will probably join it at some point. Possibly. Possibly. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about aquatic atrocities. All right. Now, we've done three other ludicrous bestiaries. Mm-hmm. We've given you all kinds of delightful creatures. And it should also be noted, we've given several episodes on chimeras, and if you haven't seen any of go check them out. Yeah. They're pretty much the same thing. The only difference is, is that this time we're specifically going with a theme versus chimeric themes. Right. We did a an aerial theme. We did, in fact, yes. And that was delightful as well. And in fact, one of the creatures that happened to be an aerial chimera could easily be a aquatic atrocity. Yes. If you guys don't remember what we're talking about here, the sea tyrant, yes. delightful, flying, gargantuan cucumber. Sea cucumber. Sea cucumber, yes. The sea cucumber with wings, but it's about the size of a ship that happens to spit kraken out. And then Matt made it even worse by having the kraken spit giant humbled squid out. Yes. Because sure. Because Inception. why not? Squidception. Yeah. It's a turducken. <laughs> it's a squid duckin' or something like yes. that. So first off, again- as with all of our creature episodes, we always say, why are we doing these creature episodes? A, because it amuses us. Yeah. I mean, always. I mean, it's really the only reason we do any of these episodes, because it amuses us, and hopefully it amuses you. Also, especially for things like this, magic exists, and or dark science, depending on your game. Yes. That's an answer in and of itself. Because magic. Yes. Wizards are crazy, and when we say wizards, it could also be warlocks or clerics or magic users in general. Yes. The the will to bend reality includes some level of mental recklessness. And I say to the viewers, if you're if they're not crazy, why not? Make them crazy. They should be a little bit they should have a couple of screws loose when when they're, you know, warping reality with their minds. A little touched. It's a little bit touched, yeah. And finally... The ocean is scary. It is. Now, nature in general, and specifically one of our friends that you and I both know, happens to say that nature's out to kill us regardless. But the ocean is a particular type of out to kill us. I mean, you know, my stance is nothing's out to kill you. You just happen to be there. (laughs) Exactly. You're, You're the place where the danger happened. Taking a nice swim and a basking shark comes along, swallows you. Yeah. 
it was hungry, you were there. Yeah. If you had been a seal, it would have eaten the seal, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You were just happened to be in the place where nature happened. Whale comes along, decides it wants to slap you around because it happens to be, you know, what, 20 tons or something like something ridiculous like that. Yeah. May not have noticed you. Yeah. Bear, eat your head like a candy. That was a Dave Matthews song, by the way. Just saying. The nature's, nature's scary. Nature. The, yeah, it's nature. <laughs> the ocean is scary. It's all very scary. And so for this episode, we are making some scary creatures. Yep. Particularly things which are nasty and could potentially kill your party. Yes. So it's up to you as a storyteller whether you interject them into your game. Yes. Some of these are worse than others. Yes. Some of these are a little bit amusing. Some of these are a little bit deadly. And some of them are a total party kill. And we're fine with that. Yeah. Now for this episode, obviously, we are doing specifically aquatic creatures. So that's one of the first rules that we have. Right. And the second rule. It's got to be a nasty fight. Yeah. And that's about it. There you go. Short and sweet. Yep. Simple to the point. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some aquatic atrocities. Now, Matt, you've got the first one. Mm-hmm. And man, we're not even we're not even pulling any punches. We're like right from the gate, we're just going full throttle into a pre-epic horror. Yes. I I I would not if we're playing D&D, I would not have anything under t- level 12 to 15th after this bad boy. Yeah. That's fair. And even then, I would consider, well, it depends on on the party. Yes. And, you know, the creativity of your players is always very important. Sure, sure. I still would err towards 15 rather than 12. Absolutely. And what we're talking about here is the Ceramorphic Kraken. Yes. So, Matt, tell me about the Ceramorphic Kraken. Give me. We got a description. We've got some size, some stats, some special attacks, and so forth. Okay. So we're going to start off with the description. A gigantic unnatural storm appears in the distance and suddenly overtakes your vessel. Spooky. As the sailors fight against the winds, a titanic monstrous scream can be heard amidst the chaos from your mind. Yeah. Suddenly, gigantic tentacles grip the ship and you are pulled into the watery depths. So what are we looking at here? First off, the size, right? It's... Gargantuan. Uh, in fact, in the monstrous manual, there's a parenthetical beside that that is gargantuan titanic. Yes. Now, I see this as a kraken, like mm-hmm. like the squid-like krakens that you see in D&D, but maybe a bit more elithid-like. Yes. In the monstrous manual, the kraken actually has tentacles that go up and a somewhat humanoid face underneath. In my vision of this monstrosity, it's like a tentacle hourglass. Okay. Where the tentacles go both up, and then the head that hangs underneath has tentacles that go down. Oh, it's it's tentacles both ways? Yes. Oh, that's nasty. Tentacles all the way down. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's disgusting. The stats for it are... I believe in the monstrous manual, gross. That's that's the technical term. It's just gross. <laughs> yeah, just, just it's nasty. Awful. I mean, it's a titanic creature. So sure. I mean, throw whatever stats you want in. All right, let's talk about some of the special attacks, defenses, traits, that sorts of thing. Okay. Right? 
It's amphibious, obviously. It has freedom of movement. It is a siege monster. Oh, yeah. It has magic resistance. It has psionics. It's going to give you dominate any unintelligent creature within six miles. So it's got Aquaman's abilities. Yes. Nice. But it's not asking nicely. This is not charm. It's telling you. This is dominate. Yeah. It also has the Mind Flayer's innate spellcasting with its intelligence, which I mean, you could be nice and go with 15 or you could go with 20. It really depends on where your power scale is on your players and if you just want to murder them outright. Yeah. At will, it has detect thought and levitate. Ooh, that's cool. That's awful. I mean, it's I don't great want for this me. thing to levitate. <laughs> Can can you just imagine? Yes, I can imagine a titanic floating squid-like creature with tentacles on both ends coming out of a storm Rising cloud and just of, yep. landing with a big be- with a big splorking belly flop on the nearest ship. Yeah. That would be awesome. And it knows you're there because yep. it can detect thoughts. Mhm. You imagine it landing on a small fishing village? Just blam. And then just walking its way back to, well, sure. crawling, levitating its way back into the ocean. They call me the typhoon. <laughs> just shoving things into its mouth. Sure. Once a day, it can dominate monster. Oh, like krakens, for example. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps a sea tyrant. Sure. Can you imagine this thing floating? Yes, you see it, right? Bunch of sea tyrants come up out of the, out of the waters as well. Sure. Nothing but squid everywhere. Be great. Just calamari for days. Yes. Plane shift. Self only. Okay. Illithids get it. Yeah. Why not? I could see it taking on some Githyanki warships in the astral plane. Sure. It would make a great weapon for an elder brain. This would be an amazing... uh hilarious adventure so your players finally get to the astral plane they finally run up against some gith yankee they're rolling up they're like oh man this is gonna be badass they've got red dragons everything happens then all of a sudden like a tear in reality comes out and this thing just starts grabbing our glass of tentacles just it just pulls them back into the prime material yep. plane like and then just leaves I'm like what the hell just happened <laughs> it would be awesome we should get a better look from way over there. Yes. Yes. So it's got, okay. Plane shift and of course. Control storms. Yeah. Got to. Now combat wise, flailing tentacles and magic. Yes. Combat, seramorphic krakens assault the mind while simultaneously assaulting the body. And, you know, the nature of reality itself. Sure. Because krakens are an abomination to nature. They are. What kind of ecology does it have? Did it. I mean, these things don't exist naturally. Uh, Krakens are considered an abomination to nature by themselves, and then you're going to add this on top of it. So the theory is they are either created by vile dark gods that are just, you know, from the far beyond, Mm -hmm. or maybe a Kraken got into a fight with an elder brain dragon. Scary to think about that. Failed one of its saves. Got infected by a little ceramorph. Yep, got yeah. infected and just, you know, 
10 days later or whatever. Turn it to a horrible on both ends. Yeah, great. Love it. So that's a Ceramorphic Kraken. But next we have a classic for our show, Finally Explained. Yes. We've been making this joke for at least 10 episodes, and one of our friends actually drew this creature for us. I think this is like almost 30 episodes in at this point. Yeah, whatever. Anyhow, <laughs> point is, is that we decided to put this into an aquatic atrocity, and it is the Beholder Shark. Sure. There you go. Makes sense. A la our friend Jess. That was episode 64, Time Periods Part 2. Yeah. The description goes as follows. Silently swimming through the water is a sleek, long-finned shark trailing a series of eel-like tentacles. A tentacle orients in your direction as you approach, and you notice that each is tipped with a baleful eye. A large central eye in the center of the shark turns to regard you as a maw filled with large, sharky teeth opens. Sure. Meet the ultimate predator. You never had a chance. It's great, right? Yep. It's just a big beholder shark. <laughs> it's, it's, a be, it's a shark with a beholder central eye mm-hmm. and then tentacles trailing all around it. Sure. Sounds awful. And if you're thinking, well, what kind of shark? Oh, don't worry. We've got some variants. <laughs> so it's a beholder and a shark. Pretty much. Okay. Easy to easy, right? But it's got eye blasts because beholders have eye blasts. Right. So what do they do? Well, I'm thinking that the central eye is definitely going to be anti-magic. Sure. Because classic. It's a classic beholder, right? Right. Uh now I did kind of rearrange several of the eye rays to be more thematic to like an underwater intelligent shark whose whole purpose is to eat. Sure. Because that's what it does, right? It is right. the perfect eating machine that can now zap you and eat you. It's an alpha predator. Yeah. Makes so sense. We've got beholders have 10 rays. Mm-hmm. Here are the rays. Sleep ray. Sure. Color spray. Because it dazzles. Yeah. It dazzles and eats you. Paralyzing ray. It paralyzes and eats you. Watery sphere. Mm-hmm. So I, instead of telekinesis, it has watery sphere. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. Also good for taking sailors off of ships. Absolutely. Slowing ray so that it can catch you and eat you. Sure. Rary's telepathic bond. Okay. Communication wise. Needs yeah. something to communicate with so it can tell you that it's going to eat you. Sure. <laughs> Control water. Now you can slap a whole bunch of people off of the ship. Yes. Programmed illusion. That has a lot of options. Yes. And then f- just because I'm an asshole, chain lightning ray. <laughs> sure. And. The death ray that they all have. Right. So I removed disintegration because it didn't seem, what are they going to disintegrate? And, and you can't eat something you've disintegrated. Exactly. That but you can chain sense. lightning it and cook it. Exactly. Well. The delicate flavor of ozone. Yes. Combat wise, the beholder shark softens its prey up with a well-placed eye blast, then goes for the kill in much the usual way sharks kill things, up sure. close and personal. Uh, beholder sharks suffer from blood frenzy, much like their more natural counterparts, Forgoing eye rays and subtlety for brute force and violence. And savvy adventurers can often use that to their advantage. Sure. So if you know that you're up against one. Chum the water. Yes. And then it won't use tactics. It turns into another shark. shark. Right. I'm going to ask anyway. What's the ecology of this thing? It does have one. Beholder sharks compete with eyes of the deep for food, as well as other aquatic monsters beneath the large, cold, oceanic waters. Several species of beholder sharks exist, including the common beholder shark, the violent but less blasty great white beholder shark, 
the terrifying hammerhead beholder shark, and the lazy and hedonist beholder whale shark. Sure. <laughs> Don't ask me why it's hedonist. I, I wasn't gonna. Yeah. <laughs> now, Matt, you have a plant-based aquatic atrocity. Sure. You know, sometimes you gotta you gotta bring it down a couple notches, right? I mean, we've had a ceramorphic kraken and a beholder shark. Let's just let's Venus flytrap this sure. for a moment. Let's ease it down. So, tell me a little bit about the carnivorous kelp. All right. Your characters swim through the kelp forest. As they move against the tall green plants, they are suddenly grabbed by several strands and restrained. The nearest floating kelp polyps turn in their direction, open wide, displaying a hideous array of needle-like teeth. Feed me Seymour. Yeah. A little Shop of Horrors action yep. going on. A little Audrey 2. Yeah. You know, and a kelp forest. I love it. <laughs> uh what does the carnivorous kelp do in terms of attacks, special defenses, and so forth? It's it's a uh, it's a carnivorous plant, so it entangles. It can reel, like a um, like a roper, roper. Okay, yeah. and it has bite attacks. Reels you in, eats you. Yeah, simple. Yeah, easy to do. You could probably throw this at a uh, mid level character. Sure, for combat. It's an ambush predator, right? It just waits for creatures to swim by. As soon as a victim is within range, the plant lashes out with its sticky kelp strands entangling and restraining its prey, and then the sharp-toothed polyps do the rest. Mashes you up into chum. Yep. What kind of ecology does a carnivorous kelp have? It's kind of indistinguishable from kelp right carnivorous kelp it eats small fish aquatic animals and basically anything that it can bite into smaller size chunks these plants can get to tremendous sizes and larger specimens pose dangers to dolphins sharks and even whales on occasion this would be a good sargasso sea trap like you get caught in the doldrums your ship runs aground of like a sea uh, a little bit of like a kelp bed and you're trying to use poles to kind of get yourself out of it, and it bites off the poles. The other thing is, is this would be a, if you were an awful person. Underwater dungeon traps? That would work. But also, this would be just an awful cutscene, right? Your, sh your characters are on a ship. They're floating. They see a large mat of sargasso. A whale comes swimming by. Just gets piranha. Just gets piranha. <laughs> you just, just see like frothing water. Yep. And they're like, what the hell is that? Because it looks like kelp. Yep. And they're thinking there's something in the kelp. Mm -hmm. And if I was a player, I would hide in the kelp and then become a victim to the kelp. It's it's a good way of for like characters who are in a pirate campaign, right? For reminding them that everything dangerous isn't necessarily on a ship. The hmm. water is a terrifying place in and of itself. I love this. So yeah, I would, even if I never used it against the characters, I would absolutely use it as just a terrifying cutscene. Yes. All right. We've got a couple more monsters, aquatic atrocities to throw at your player characters for you, but we'll be right back. After these messages. 
If there are any topics you would like us to cover, goods or services you would like us to review, or if you would like to sponsor an episode, we would love for you to contact us at info at goblinscorner.com. See you there. And we're back. Welcome back. So we're talking Ludicrous Bestiary Volume 4, Aquatic Atrocities. Indeed. And we've given you three aquatic atrocities so far. We've got... Ceramorphic Kraken. We have a Beholder Shark. Yep. And Carnivorous Kelp. And now we've got a couple other beasties to throw at your characters that you can use. Indeed. You have something here called a Brine Bloat. The Brine Bloat. All right. Hit me, man. What you got? All right. Here, uh, <laughs> this is... This is a play on another uh, ancient creature from back in the day. So we'll see if people recognize this. From the depths of the waters appears a massive bloated yellow fish-like creature with wriggling spikes protruding from all visible areas of its body. As the bulging eyes gaze upon you, it suddenly puffs up to five times its normal size and charges, amazingly fast for the bulk of the creature. You're thinking gigantic puffer fish, perhaps? But no, it's not. (laughs) Okay. Brine bloats are actually a creature which explode. That seems suboptimal. Yes. Now, in terms of what it is, we'll get to that in a second, but its attacks are, it can move really fast to increase movement speed. Sure. It's got the brine spikes, which we'll get to in a second, Mm -hmm. and then spike explosion, so shrapnel. Sure. That's it. It's a death charge. Pretty much, yes. It's actually an de- uh, organic depth charge. Okay. So what's combat like? Brine bloats bum rush anything moving small size or larger than itself, attempting to charge and thus do the spiky damage. And so it runs at the nearest creature to impale it. Right. But it recognizes creatures versus things. Like, it doesn't just stab boats. Correct. It would detect movement. Okay. Actually, it might bum rush a boat. Okay. I'd allow that. It wouldn't, do, it wouldn't matter, except for the explosion part. Hmm. Now, additionally, should it take damage, there is a 50% chance the brine bloat explodes, causing 66 piercing damage in a 20-foot radius. And you can save half if you're aquatic, because you can get out of the way. Sure. As the spikes embed themselves in the victim. So it runs up, tries to spike you. If you do damage, it explodes. 50-50 chance. Embedding the spikes in you regardless. So either it stab, either you let it stab you or you stab it back and it stabs you. Yeah, and you think that sucks, but here's where it gets even worse. If the victim lives from the spikes being impaled, then they must then make an immediate constitution save or risk becoming a brine bloat. Well, that sounds suboptimal. Yes, and here's where it gets fun. Brine bloat is not a specific creature but it is a disease which can infect many different creatures. Okay. Brine bloats, the spikes, are actually the physical reproductive containers for more brine bloats. And should a living creature become pierced with a brine bloat spike, there is a chance it too will become a brine bloat. Should the creature fail their save over the course of two days, they gain the ability to breathe water if they didn't have it before. They gain a swim speed. They lose air breathing if they were a land creature. Their eyes bulge, their body becomes bloated, and their overall skin gains that sickly yellow coloration. Okay. So it's it's basically kind of like lycanthropy. More like the the spore. What is it? The, the uh, gas spores. The gas spores. Yeah. So if if you get infected with the gas spore, you become a gas spore. This is kind of the aquatic version of that. Sure, makes sense. 
what's the ecology of this thing? I mean, it sounds self-explanatory. but It's actually very useful. Okay. And you would think, wait a minute, hold on, this thing sucks. While brine bloat is indeed a terrible affliction, with many survivors becoming brine bloats themselves, it actually provides a very useful niche by removing many of the top large predators that would otherwise destroy a population of food. Think of all the magical creatures that are in the ocean in a D&D game. Sure. You've got dragon turtles, you've got aquatic reptiles, you've got mosasaurs, we'll get to in a minute. We've got all kinds of nasty things. Ceramorphic krakens. Ceramorphic krakens, the, the majestic aquatic flumph. Sure. We'll, we'll put that in there at some point. As large creatures can generally survive the explosion, they end up as brine bloats. Right. Perpetuating the cycle. Because things that die from it just die. Don't transform, yeah, right? what, the smaller victims just perish, and they don't continue the cycle. So the idea is, is brine bloat charges a creature, explodes, it dies. Sure. Okay, no more brine bloats. Brine bloat charges a big creature, like your ceramorphic kraken. There's a chance it becomes... It a, rolls a one. It becomes a brine bloat, thus removing a titanic horror from the ocean. And creating a completely different titanic horror. <laughs> Eh, look, let's not think too much about this. It's so big. It's just a gigantic just nuclear enormous. weapon. That's no moon on the horizon. Oh, that would be awesome. You just, you just see this patch of spikes floating in the ocean. What the hell is that thing? Is that is that an island? No, it was once a dragon turtle. Right. Or, oh God, a Zaratan? If you guys don't know what a Zaratan is, it's the... Uh, the island turtles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of my favorite creatures. Absolutely. Many scholars believe Brian Blit was created by a nature deity of the ocean to protect less fantastical creatures of the depths from the predations of the supernatural. This has some credence as Brian Blitz seem to be drawn more to supernatural monsters and people than others. Hmm. And yes, if you're on a pirate adventure and one of your characters happens to be arcane or divine, Send it closer. Maybe make it more likely to charge that person instead of just... The person swimming. Yeah, the person swimming. That'd be fun. So that's the brine bloat. Sounds awful. It is awful. Speaking of awful, you've got a really awful creature. An undead. So tell me a bit about the nacreous mummy. Okay. So we got a description first, right? As the adventurers delve into the aquatic temple... A massive clam residing within opens, revealing a humanoid-shaped pearl. It swims out to meet the adventurers. Only then do they understand that what they thought to be a pearl golem was instead a petrified, pearlescent corpse. This is cool. This is really cool. We've got a pearled mummy. Yes. I mean, how do you preserve a corpse underwater? Turn it into a pearl. Yep. That's all. That's great. And now it's a mummy. Right. So I'm assuming it's going to have mummy attacks, but you, you've you kind of gone a little, a little above and beyond for the special attacks and defenses. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, I wanted, I wanted some extra flavoring, right? Yeah, you got to have some flavor. So you got your magic resistance. You got rejuvenation. You got damage resistance and damage immunities to necrotic poison, slashing, piercing, cold... Right. All, it, all, all the mummy, mummy, yeah, all the mummy stuff. Right, it has a multi attack and rotting fist because it's still uh, a mummy. Still a mummy. 
Drowning Glare. Yeah. It's going to drown you with its, with its glare. That's great. Scry. Now, that's important because if you steal something from the temple that it's guarding and you get away, it will scry on that item and hunt you down. And then drown you with its gaze. That's cool. It's it's not cool to wake up from a dead sleep drowning. Yeah, looking up and like, man, this shiny undead creature is just drowning me with its gaze. <laughs> Hammering days. me with his fist, I'm starting to rot while I die. Yeah, it's terrible it times. Sucks. But you've got even more worse things as well. Well, it also has pearlescent curse. So it turns you into a pearl? Yes. Okay. So in the good old days... Mummies could mummy curse you into, you know, uh, what was it called? Mummy rot. You eventually turn into a mummy under their control. No, no. No, these are holy mummies. They are sanctified or vilified, depending on, you know, which religion, to guard these temples. You just get turned as, like, turn per stone. Uh, turn to stone, right? Petrification. You just get turned into a pearl instead of rock. And depending upon the alignment of your players, you may stay a pearl and be sold as a pearl statue. Absolutely. That would be worth an enormous amount. I've always argued that things like Medusas and what have you, those statues are literally perfect. Yeah, because they're lifelike. So right. lifelike. So very lifelike. Now imagine taking that perfectly lifelike statue but making it completely out of pearl how much would that be worth a lot and finally it's got yeah well it's it's got spell casting because it's a mummy yeah yeah what's it like in combat it's a mummy okay mummy that turns you yeah. into a pearl Perfect. right any uh, ecology or lore behind all of this there's some lore no ecology really since they're created mummy. right they're created by aquatic species to protect sacred temples whether it's holy or unholy is depending on who made them. Sea elves or Sahagan. Right. Nacreous mummies tirelessly maintain their sacred locations. They will engage verbally and intelligently if it's their nature, right? If they're from a nonviolent society, then first they'll just tell you to leave. Yeah. If they're from a violent society, they'll wait for you to come in. They'll close the door behind you. And, and you become a statue, you. yeah. Right. As they reside in magical clams, which is how they're created, these specialized undead only get tougher the longer they age. Nice. Because they get more and more and more coated. That's some good chatter. <laughs> the magical clams. Oh, yeah. Surface creatures have only recently discovered the existence of the nacreous mummy, and due to its, and maybe despite its nature, often mount expeditions to confront these creatures as it's literally worth its weight in gold. Yeah. Because it's a enormous pearl. Chucking sailors at the mummy just so you can have a bunch of statues. Yeah. And that's the nacreous mummy. And you know, you might have villains that literally just Shanghai people and toss them to the mummy. Although if the mummy's intelligent, it's probably going to get pissed off at being used as a, but if it's evil, it might respect game. That's true. 
might be able to have a little deal going on at the moment. Look, we're not going to mess you up, but we just want these people turned into statues. Can we we do that? We don't want to rob your temple. We actually want to pay you for your services. Yes. Can you imagine? So literally they deliver goods and goods down to the mummy so that it can maintain its temple in exchange for the occasional sailor being turned into pearl. I love that. Maybe they, maybe they go, look, just send someone you don't like. I'll turn them into a pearl. You sell it. And then you can hire some contractors to come down and help me upgrade this temple. Yeah. Very pragmatic. Indeed. That would be hilarious to, to run an adventure like that where the mummy is just trying to upgrade the temple and it's literally taking and turning monsters. It would, it would, invitingly open the doors to its cat to its uh, temple so that it can turn people into pearl and then sell them it could even be a good nacreous mummy that is taking monsters out right like and then just the sea elves come to the surface and they're like we'd like to sell you this beholder shark yeah <laughs> or imagine a guild of jewelers and they're hiring the party of adventures you've got to get rid of this thing it's like literally the price of pearls has fallen sharply i mean they made a house out of pearl (laughs) it's the door's name was frank yes (laughs) all right so moving right along going in a completely different direction here no i mean (laughs) yes basically (laughs) tell me about the phase mosasaur that's pretty much in the name really Off the port bow of the ship, your captain spots a massive 60-foot ocean reptile sporting a chubby, toothy snout and a long tail. It dives quickly, then ascends to ram the boat. All hands on deck, yet the creature never surfaces. Suddenly you glance upward and materializing above you is an open mouth. Well, that's not good. Yeah. But it's only not good for a second. That's very (sighs) true. So much like the phase spider which can phase in and out of the ethereal plane and attack from different angles. You have a mosasaur, which if you guys don't know what a mosasaur is, a big sea reptile. looks like an alligator, basically, with a long tail that can phase in different directions to attack. Oh, that doesn't sound like it's a good thing at all. It sounds awesome. (laughs) What what are the special attacks and defenses like? It's a fucking dinosaur. I mean, it it can... Sure. it phases. It's a phasing dinosaur. It's a phasing dinosaur. That's all it it's is. It's on the tin. It's, yeah, it's pretty simple, right? What's, other than it being a phasing dinosaur, what's combat like with this guy? Phase mosasaurs are perfectly at home swimming through either the ethereal plane mm-hmm. or the briny depths of whatever prime material ocean you happen to be on. When they spot prey large enough, which is usually anything that's moving, sure. it shifts to the ethereal plane to get a more vertical advantage. It usually attacks from the top which is awesome. Mosasaurs, what people believe, they used to attack from like the bottom up. Sure. They would charge and ram stuff. This one attacks from the top down because... Because it can. Because it can. After the initial ramming charge, most prey is stunned, and so the phase Mosasaur settles down to a leisurely snack. But should the prey prove to be a bit tougher, then the creature will often make a series of phased volleys back and forth between the realms. Sure. So it'd be, thump, bam, disappear, thump, Bam. And it hits them from different angles. Right. Phase mosasaurs are notorious for shifting the angle of attack each time, and so one can never expect where the reptile will appear. Might be above you, might be underneath you, might be right next to you, might be eating your friend. I love it, because as you know, I'm 
I'm a dinosaur fan. We're huge dinosaur fans here at the Goblin's yeah. Corner. What's what's the ecology of a phase mosasaur? Phase mosasaurs fill similar niches to other large predatory dinosaurs in the primaterial waters. It's basically a big dinosaur. Yeah. It's a more efficient dinosaur. On the ethereal plane, they eat phase spiders, lamasu, young ethereal dragons, and planar travelers. And anything else that can fit into its mouth. So basically the same as a dinosaur on the prime. Yes. It's whatever it it's can eat. Swim in the it waters. what it can eat. Swim in the ethereal waters or it swim in the prime waters. And that's it. What a delightful creature. Just put a, just a small spin on a existing dinosaur. Make it horrible. Yeah. You also dredged deep into your brain and wrought something slightly unholy. So... Tell me about the Pori Ferals. Ah, uh, yes. This is, I dare say, probably something that I'm ashamed to bring into this world. But that's fine. It, I think it's great. It, 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 this is an infernal creature. Sure. You are correct. <laughs> it's awful. We'll get into, uh, it's actually uh, a play on the word periphera, which is a sponge. Right. So give me the description of this guy. As your party descends into the depths, you finally touch down on the abyssal plain, the bottom of the ocean. You're, you shine your magical lights into the darkness. In the distance, you can see what appears to be uh, a gigantic pineapple under mm-hmm. the sea. No, it's a residence. The door opens and a rectangular humanoid figure with various perforations swims out like a sponge. As you stare into the creature's vacant eyes and saccharine smile, you feel your mind slowly slipping away like the blood trailing lazily through the water. Only then do you realize the trident is erupting from your chest as a second creature floats from behind you. Before you slip away, you see the saccharine smile once again, but this time with a maw of teeth. Okay. So. <laughs> you could see why. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Pori ferals are a species of sentient evil sponges, originally hailing from the jangling hitter deep within the Nine Hells realm of Minaros. At some distant point in the past, these creatures migrated to the river Styx and then were deposited in the deepest realms in the prime material seas. Even the river Styx didn't want them. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, ah, screw this. We don't want that sponge. Get out. Their time in both the Hells and the Styx give them the fiendish abilities to stupefy their foes as well as take whatever damage their victims can dish out. So they're just basically hard to kill and they can stupefy you with a gaze. As a whole, these creatures exist only to cause pain and suffering, even going as far as wearing angular clothing with cutch creatures they brush up against, such as square pants. Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. I amuse myself, which is why I do this. <laughs> That's the important thing. Yes. What are their special attacks and defenses? Are of stupidity, sharp garments. Sure. And immune to physical damage. All right. <laughs> cut you with their clothes and it makes you stupid. Pori ferals lie in wait near the sandy bottoms of the sea where a decoy creature approaches to gauge the strength of the victim it encounters. Once stupefied, they then kill and maim at their leisure. Sure. No word on whether their friend happens to be a... uh... Giant starfish? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Demonic starfish? Demonic starfish, guys. That'd be the next one. All right. (laughs) What? What are the ecology of these guys? Ah, there's no ecology. The fiends have no natural ecology because they're fiends. Sure. 
and they generally spend their time making war with the various nations beneath the waves, such as Sahagan, Sea Elves, maybe a colony of Kraken. Sure. Whatever else. What is it? Undersea Dwarves. Yeah. Why not? Makes sense to me. The, uh, the aquatic halflings. They have aquatic halflings. They do now? They do now. Think about that. They don't have furry feet. They've got fins on their feet. Yeah, they got web feet. Web feet. There you go. Occasionally, a group will migrate near surface towns, mm-hmm. whereupon they begin a series of bloody raids until they destroy the town or are forced back. Children love them. Of course, yeah. <laughs> they love that vacuous, that eyes saccharine, and saccharine smile. smile. Yeah. yeah. Oh God, it's such a terrible show. Yeah. So there you have it: seven atro- atrocious creatures. Some more atrocious than others. Some more atrocious than others for you to use for your next TTRBG campaign, pirate campaign, D&D game, Pathfinder game. I would dare say Cthulhu-esque horror game would be delightful. Throw the darkness, why yeah, not? Yeah, throw a Pori Feral in a World of Darkness campaign. That'd definitely come from the abyss, though. Think about that. I feel like there are ways to make that happen. We could make that happen. Questions or comments? Write to us. Info at goblinscorner.com, or you can reach me, Eric at goblinscorner.com, or... Me, Matt at goblinscorner.com. We're on all the things. Matt, what are all the things we're on? We're on Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, Twitch, and TikTok. As Goblins Corner. And Instagram. As the Goblins Corner. Do you like our show? Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player, YouTube, and Twitch. If you could do us a favor and click the five stars, give us a review on iTunes or Podchaser. If you're on YouTube... Click subscribe, give us a like, give us some comments, answer the questions, all sorts of things. It boosts the show, gets us in front of more people, and it feeds the hungry algorithm. Just currently rising from the briny deep to shift into the ethereal plane and land on your boat. <laughs> I feel I feel like the algorithm is definitely an aquatic atrocity. It's definitely a phase mosasaur. That's all the time we have for tonight. Once again, my name's Eric. And I'm Matt. We'll see you next time. Good night, folks. The Goblin's Corner is written and produced by Eric Holden and Matt Staples. The music is by the Mighty D20. This has been a Subterranean production.